Welcome to the Andy Stanley Leadership Podcast, a conversation designed to help leaders go further faster. On today's podcast, we'll conclude a two-part conversation on only doing what only you can do. Andy, as we begin today, I'll just say that if anyone missed last month's conversation, you should go back and hear the whole thing. It, it really sets up today, but why don't you give us a short recap of what it means to only do what only you can do? Yeah, this this whole idea is based on what I call the two best-kept secrets of leadership. The first one being the less you do, the more you accomplish. The less you do, the more you accomplish. The fewer things a leader does, generally speaking, the more they accomplish. And the second one is the less you do, the more you enable others to accomplish. The less you do, the more you enable others to accomplish. So again, it's a, the idea of backing into our core competencies, spending more time on the things that make the biggest difference. Um, discovering and asking the question, okay, of all the time I have to give to this organization or this job, um, where does my time make the biggest impact? Mm-hmm. Where is the biggest, where, where's the greatest value add? Discovering those things and then scheduling and calendaring to the point where you're spending the majority of your time and your best time on those few things. So when a leader embraces the idea of only doing what only they can do, essentially they're learning to lean into their strengths and delegate their weaknesses. And as we said last month, this isn't something we can begin doing today. This is something we shoot for. This is something we move toward. I don't I can't go back to the office today and announce I'm only going to do <laughs> what only I can do. And honestly, it's a it's a bit of an of an ideal. I, I don't know that any person can actually only do what only they can do, but I think it's a goal that's worth setting out there and keeping our eye on. Otherwise, we get pulled into all kinds of things that other people can do, that other people should do, and that other people can do better than we can do. Andy, last month we talked about why many leaders find this hard to do. This month, let's answer the question, what are the benefits? Well, there are two. One's personal and one's corporate. On the personal side, we find it much easier to establish and maintain, which is the key, to establish and maintain a sustainable pace. Mm. Um, We all have a pace. Hopefully, it's sustainable. But when you're working with, when you're doing things that are energizing, um, you go home energized. (laughs) When you you spend a lot of time in things that are draining, um, you're you're drained. And so, working outside our sweet spot is exhausting. Mm. So, as a leader is able to schedule themselves to the place um, and prioritize to the place where they're doing the things that are, again, add value, the most value to the organization, but are at the same time that line up or in sync with what they're, you know, made to do, created right. to do, gifted to do. Um, it's more energizing. So consequently, personally, it's much, much, much easier to create a sustainable pace. On the corporate side, the real win is you end up with an organization that reflects your strengths, but not your weaknesses. Mm. And last month, we talked about the, the myth that a, you know, a leader, a great leader is great at everything. And the reason we think they're great at everything is because their organization is great. And we think that somehow a great organization or a well-balanced organization reflects, you know, somehow reflects the personality or the giftedness right. of the leader. That's not the case at all. When a leader focuses on what they are good at and allows great people to do the things that they're good at, you have a well-rounded organization, even if you don't have a well-rounded leader. So on the corporate side, when you play to your strengths and delegate your weaknesses, um, the, the entire organization becomes more competent. Andy, do you want to give us an example from our organization? Yeah, the the um, example that always comes to mind is our reputation in our communities is that we do great events. I mean, we we put on events, and people who don't even attend any of our churches will come to our events. We do great events. Mm. 
I am never involved in event planning. In fact, they <laughs> lock the door and turn off the lights if they think I'm going to show up at an, you know, a, a planning meeting for an event. Now, that's not 100% true, but I know what I know my value add when it comes to event planning. My value add is content. Mm. But if it is an event that is not primarily about content, I should stay away. So, you know, if, you know, our organization does not reflect one of my weaknesses, which I, is I'm a terrible planner, but you would, you don't show up at anything we do and feel like, wow, they need to find somebody who knows how to put something together and plan something. And this is true in every organization. So when a leader, again, it's not intuitive. When a leader focuses on their strengths, delegates their weaknesses, their weaknesses are not reflected in the organization. Mm-hmm. And that's why this is so very important. There's not just a personal takeaway, but this impacts an entire uh, you know, corporation or even a department or a division. So there are two benefits. One is personal, a sustainable pace, and one is corporate. The organization will not reflect the weaknesses of the leader. Andy, as, as clear as the organizational benefits are, I've, I've heard you warn leaders. They're not automatic. You have to be willing to develop other leaders. Absolutely. And a lot of leaders just won't take the time to develop other leaders. We've mm-hmm. talked a lot about that on this podcast. And oftentimes the reason we don't is because of that old adage, if you want it done right, do it yourself. And again, in every organization, especially a startup, the leader has to do everything. They're setting the pace. This is how we do it here. This is what I mean by excellence. But again, along the way, the leader needs to step out of some of those roles, move out of some of those boxes if the organization is going to thrive. Because while it's easier and less time consuming to do things yourself than it is to train other people, ultimately you undermine the strength of the organization. Lane, as you know, at the end of the day, leadership really isn't even about getting things done right. Leadership is about getting things done through other people. So again, we have to set a standard, but at some point we have to hand things off to the people around us. And the other thing is great leaders work through other leaders who work through others. I mean, that's even better leadership as I'm, again, handing things off to people who hand things off to people. Leadership really is about multiplying our efforts through the efforts of other people. Andy, as you know, I have the opportunity to coach leaders in our network all across the country, and I see time and time again, people violate this principle that when they have to have their hands on everything, they become the lid to growth in their organization. There is a relational leader who has to touch everything, and then there's an organizational leader who's embraced this idea of leading others through others. And it can oftentimes be the difference between growth and being the lid. Yeah, and, and this really is a lid to an organization or or a, or a part of an organization if a leader is not willing to, again, recognize their strengths, delegate their weaknesses, realize it doesn't have to get done the way I would do it, even if it doesn't get done the way I would do it, and even if it's not as good as I would mm. do it. Still, I've gotten out of the way, and at least I've created the potential for the organization to grow. So, Andy, let's let's get really practical. How does a leader discover what only he or she can do? Well, Lane, as you know, whenever I teach this content, I always leave the audience with several questions to think about. Mm-hmm. And as everybody who's listening probably knows, there are so many tools for mm-hmm. um, for leaders and managers to figure out their strengths and their weaknesses. So I'm in no way trying to replace uh, some of those incredible tools. But here here are some questions just to you know just to get started. Here's one: What do you do 
that is almost effortless from your perspective, but seems like a daunting task to mm. others. What what comes so natural? What is it's like effortless? Mm. It, it takes you virtually no time, and you've heard over and over. I I just don't know how you do that. How do you do that? You make that look so easy. That's an area that's clearly a strength for you. And you know, it's interesting. Sometimes we miss those things because there are certain things that are so intuitive to us. We probably couldn't teach anybody else how to do it. It's just intuitive. Um, I can hear a song and sit down at a piano or pick up a guitar and play just about any song that's on the radio. I could no more teach someone how to do that. (laughs) I I don't even – I just think, well, can't you just hear it? Don't you just get it? And the answer is no. That's just in me. So when we discover something like that, we need to pay attention to that. Andy, another question I've heard you – challenge people to ask is, in what arenas do people consider you the the go-to person? Yeah, this is super important. And one way to discover that is to pay attention to the meetings that we get pulled into. Um, From time to time, we're all asked to sit in on a meeting in a different department, a different division, to talk about something we don't consider ourselves an expert in. And But hey, yeah, I'll be happy to do that. And we never stop to ask, why did they invite me? Um, in fact, sometimes we walk in and, and say, I don't know why I'm here. Well, you need to know why you're there because somebody thought you're going to add value to this discussion. And discovering why helps us uncover you know, specific strengths. And then there's this. A third question is what facets of your job energize you? You know, The more time I can spend on this, the better. Uh, fourth question is what do you wish you could stop doing? And then in addition to the specifics of a, a job description, there's this question. What organizational environments or what in your organization are you drawn to? And at the same time, what within the organization or in organizational environments or task or responsibilities in, within the organization, what, what do you find yourself avoiding? What, what do you look at and say, wow, I would never want to be involved mm-hmm. in that? At the same time, I wish I was invited into mm-hmm. that meeting or right. I, wish, I wish I could be involved in that conversation. Just paying attention to those things. And these aren't things we can necessarily act on now. But being aware of those things, um, I think, gives us a clue as to what we're, what we're wired to do, what we were created to do. Andy, I've heard you tell young leaders that once you've identified these things, there's one more step you can take. Yes, and this is a bit of a time-consuming exercise, but the people I've talked to who've actually done this have found it very, very energizing. And that is to sit down and to develop the ideal job description. And if you really want to do something fun, do two. Sit down and write out the ideal job description within your current organization and then step back and write the ideal job description for any organization. In other words, if you if you could just write the script, what do you wish you could do within your current job or your current company or organization? And then stepping back and saying, hey, one day, someday, if I could do anything. And again, it doesn't have to be industry specific. This is more in terms of leaning into strengths and trying to stay away from weaknesses. The advantage of doing the first exercise of thinking in terms of if I could write an ideal job description for my current job, the advantage of that is it's going to bring extraordinary clarity and chances are somewhere along the way within your current context, you may have an opportunity to talk about that with a manager or supervisor or somebody else in the company. Mm-hmm. You know, oftentimes in skip level meetings, um, these things come out where, you know, someone who's not normally meeting with, you know, somebody further down in the organization, they've just met them, they just learn the name, tell me what you do. And then it slips out. They say, well, what would you like to do? Mm-hmm. Well, you know, if you don't have a great answer for what would you like to do, you may have missed a golden opportunity. Right. But if you've given some thought to that, and again, as a boss and as an employer, when I meet an employee or talk to somebody who's new in our organization or maybe who's been with our organization a long time, 
And they begin to, in, their, in a subtle but powerful way, vision cast for how they could add more value to our organization. I'm telling you, that always gets our attention. In fact, mm-hmm. I'll give you a recent illustration. One of the things that we've talked about on here a lot is that after someone works for us for three months or a year, we send them a list of questions to answer about our organization. This is their opportunity to evaluate us. This isn't us evaluating them. So um, I get a bunch, a lot of these. So yesterday... I read through six, and two of these were from employees who have been here a year. They're in different um, parts of the city. They don't work together, but they made two almost identical comments about mm. something that we're doing, and I think they are, are onto something. They, I think they have a really good idea. So I'm meeting with them next week. Now, these are, these are two guys that I do not work with uh, you know, on a regular basis, um, but I, I, think, I think they have a really good idea. Well... If I didn't know what they were thinking and if they didn't have the opportunity, you know, to put that out there somewhere, I would miss it. But as a leader, you know, my antenna went up. I'm, I'm like, I want to know more about that. Right. So, I've, you know, they, they know we're going to get together. They know we're going to meet. I've told them why. <laughs> I had to first say, you're not in trouble. That's always <laughs> the first thing, right? You're not in trouble. I was intrigued by something you put on your one-year evaluation. And this could lead to them having an opportunity to do more of what they are wired to do and less of maybe some things they don't want to do. So the point being, the more prepared we are for those chance conversations, um, the greater the potential that we might actually get the opportunity to do more of what we're wired to do and less of what we're not. Well, Andy, as we wrap up today's conversation, do you have any final thoughts? Yes, I do. And this will come as a surprise. This whole idea of only doing what only you can do, mm-hmm. do not try this at home. <laughs> at home, you do everything. At home, you, you don't say to your, your, your wife or your husband, you don't say, well, you know, I'm not really um, an affectionate person, so you're going to have to go get affection somewhere else. You don't do this. No. Okay. At home, we take out the trash. We are all things to all people at home. So please don't try this at home. <laughs> this is for corporate environment only. Find your strengths, lean into your strengths, begin to delegate your weaknesses, and pay attention to the things that energize you and pay attention to the things that you've become the go-to person for in your organization. Andy, thanks so much for today. And to all of our listeners, we want to thank you for joining us. Don't forget to check out the andystanley.com website where you can find the Leadership Podcast Application Guide to go with today's conversation.